Well, good morning, everybody. I am really excited to get this uh, series started um, today. And uh, it's kind of a unique series, one different than we've ever done before. Um, it's a series that's different because the direction for the content has come from all of you. If you haven't been here over the last few weeks, um, for the last month or so, we've encouraged you to sort of give us questions that you've had about faith and about life and about God and to leave them for us in the hot seat box. And this last week, um, we've been kind of going through the questions, and we've um, essentially found that there's more questions than we're going to have time to answer over eight weeks. And so here's what we did. We kind of looked for themes um, in the midst of the questions, and we picked uh, in first questions that we saw represented a broader theme that people were asking about. And then secondly, over the years of being pastors, um, we also have noticed certain things that people— tend to have questions on, and those types of questions um, we also chose. So as there will be eight weeks of questions that have come from all of you. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this series is that I think that sometimes there can be a non-spoken impression that if you come to church, um, you shouldn't bring your questions. What I mean by that is that if you're a really strong Christian— well, then you wouldn't have questions. I mean, if your faith was really that strong, then you would just listen or read and just believe, right? And I just want to be real for you, with you for a moment. You have questions, and that's okay. You have questions about God and about life and about faith, and, and I'm a pastor, and I have questions too. So one of my goals has always been for this church to be just so real, so transparent, that it's not weird to bring your questions here, no matter what they might be, but that it's a place that you can bring your questions and that together we can find answers from God and from his word. And so this week, I'm the, the first one that sort of gets to be on the hot seat, so to speak, and the question that I will be unpacking from God's word is one that— um, I would say every single one of us have had, in one way or another, in one form or another. This is how the question asker wrote it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question in one form or another? And maybe to just get a, even a little bit more personal, it's usually not that, although that's part of it. It's like, why do bad things happen to good people and I'm a good person? Or, why do bad things happen to me? Why do bad things happen to me? This is a question that has a lot of, I would say, intensity and emotion around it. Because the time that we most often ask it is when we are in the midst of something bad or difficult or a suffering that is happening that is not going away. So there's a lot of energy and emotion around a question like this. Let me give you an example from our church. Some of you may know a family that has attended here for a while now. Um, their last name is Brindisi, and uh, the husband and wife are Dave and Lindsay. I think we have a, a picture here. Over the last year, they have had quite a year of difficulty, I would say, to put it bluntly. Um, in April, their adorable little son in the middle there, Leo, was born. Um, 
he was born with Down syndrome. And while Dave and Lindsay have told me they would not trade Leo for the world, let's be honest for a moment. Very few of us go into pregnancy with a plan that our child will have Down syndrome, right? It's just not usually according to our plan. After he was born, the doctors, uh, you know, do what they do, and they discovered that um, his heart had some major issues to it. It'd have to be continually monitored and likely at some point in his life to have some pretty major surgery. Also in this past year, their two-year-old daughter, Amelia, on the left, was going through some weird health difficulties, and the doctors discovered that she has type 1 diabetes. And so, in a matter of just moments, she can go from being perfectly healthy to being literally near death in just a matter of moments, depending on her blood sugar. Well, a few months ago, Leo's heart got worse. And they had to have surgery, like, right now. And one surgery turned into two. And one week in the hospital turned into seven weeks in the hospital. And I have the great, I guess, joy of being able to share with you that Leo, a few weeks ago, was able to come home. In fact, we're at the first service today. Oh, by the way, all three kids got chicken pox after they came home. Just one thing on top of another, right? And they are just so grateful for all the prayers of friends and of neighbors and of this congregation. And, and so far, what an, what an amazing guidance that God has given to them in this struggle. But I remember a few weeks ago, uh, Lindsay and I were in the hospital. Dave was not there because he wasn't there very often. As during this time frame, Amelia's numbers were fluctuating more than they ever had, and they just didn't feel like dad could be away from home and away from Amelia. And Lindsay was exhausted. You could tell it. She admitted it physically, mentally, emotionally. And we we sat around the Bible and uh, had a prayer with her. And there was a question that I know I was thinking And she also admitted, although I think mine was stronger than hers, which is ironic when you know the question, the question that I had is, is why? (laughs) Why? I mean, you look at that family, I mean, just by looking at them, they don't get much sweeter, right? Why a family like that? Why? Why do these things happen? Why does pain and suffering happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you, your story is not Dave and Lindsay's. But you have your own story of pain and of suffering, whether it be physical or mental or relational or emotional or whatever it might be. We all understand pain and suffering. And the question that we have is, is why? Why? Now, when we ask that question so often, I think that because this answer is not in our control, we begin to ask it, especially if you're a person of faith, of the one who we believe is in control, of of God. And it can be easy in the moments of why to blame him, all right, to get frustrated with, with God. And it's good that we're talking about this because naturally, in the midst of the why, 
our brains take us in two different directions most of the time when it comes to God. Our brain takes us in two directions naturally when it comes to God. Either, our first fill-in, God is not fair. (laughs) That there is something incompetent about God. So variations of God is not fair is that God is not really good, okay? Or God is not really loving. Or God doesn't care. Or God is busy, okay? These are all variations of the same road. That there's something incompetent about God and he doesn't get it. Or the other direction we often go down naturally is this, that God is not there. And we begin to wonder, it seems like life is so random and things happen to the people you wouldn't expect. And, and even for a person of faith like I am, you, you, you get questions on your heart, right? Because it doesn't seem to make sense. And naturally, those are the two routes. Either God is not fair or God is not there. Let me just tell you, those aren't the only two routes. And God's word, the Bible, leads us to another road with pain and suffering that is neither one of those. And Jesus tells us all about it in the section of scripture that we're going to look at today. So in the midst of Jesus' ministry, um, he, he would often teach people, and there'd be large crowds around. And there was this one time recorded by Luke that there was a group of people that were wondering about suffering and tragedy. And they had a certain idea in their mind about the type of person and who would receive not just suffering, but the most suffering in their life. And they they kind of hint at that. Luke chapter 13, here's that interaction. There were some present with Jesus at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, those who would be from northern Israel, whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Now, we don't know any more about this incident than this one verse, okay? It's not recorded anywhere else in Scripture. But Pontius Pilate, the same Pontius Pilate who condemned Jesus to death on the cross, there was this time where Galileans from the north had come down to Jerusalem to do sacrifices in the temple. And for whatever reason, we don't know all the background, we know all the whys behind it, Pontius Pilate decided that while they're at the temple doing sacrifices to God, that his soldiers would go and kill them right there in the temple so as that their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. Talk about people in the midst of doing the right things, right? I mean, they're they're in the temple. They're giving sacrifices for their sin. And yet this thing happens. Why, God? That's what these people are wondering. And what was wrong with those Galileans implied that you allowed this to happen to them? What deep-seated sin did they have going on in their lives was implied? And I know that because listen to how Jesus replies. He said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners? And he said that because he knew they did. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Do you think it was something 
about them or something they did or, or again, that they were somehow worse than everyone else, that their life had this really tragic thing that happened at the temple. Jesus' reply is this. I tell you, no. And, and the Greek construction of that phrase, which some of you are like, I don't care about the Greek construction. Well, I do, so I'll just tell you. The Greek construction of that phrase is this very firm exclamation point, animate, Jesus making sure that they understand, no doubt, that it's not just no, it wasn't about them. It's like, no, there's nothing about them that was the reason. I want you to get that exclamation point. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And I'm going to come back to that section in just a little bit. Verse 4. Jesus continues the line of thinking because he knows we have questions about why. He says, or how about, Jesus says, how about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Like there was this cultural tower falling thing in Israel that everyone would have just remembered the incident. And in America, 2,000 years later, I mean, in our generation, there is a tower-falling incident that causes us to have questions about God and about lots of different things. Or how about those 18, you know, who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Implied, there's a lot of questions about why those 18. There's a lot of thinking going on about... Was it something in them? Was there a reason these 18? Once again, Jesus replies, I tell you, no, exclamation point. I want you to hear this and get it. It's nothing about them that this happened, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. We're going to get back to that second part again in just a moment. Jesus knew that we have the tendency to think in the moments of why, that there's something that we did or something that they did, and it's, it's the reason why we're getting what we're receiving. Or if we don't think there's something that we did, this type of line of thinking is why we begin to think that God is unfair. What did I do to deserve this? And both of those types of thinking is a view of God that I'll call the the tally sheet method of God or view of God. And how that view looks is that we consider God to kind of be in heaven with a tally sheet. And on the one side of the tally sheet that God has, I mean like seven billion tally sheets, right, um, is sins. And then on the other side of the tally sheet are hardships, And how God works, this is how we often view it in our hearts, whether on purpose or accidentally, is that for every sin that we have in our life, that God will kind of keep track. And, you know, those people will have more hardships in their life. So for every sin, there's there's a hardship, and God keeps track. It's kind of, you know, the way that parents act sometimes, right? Like, you give a punishment for something that you do, a bad thing for something that the kids do. And in parenting, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you're going to lie, I'm going to take away your Xbox. That's just the way it goes. Or if you um, are disrespectful, you're going to have to sit in time out. And we get this type of thinking with God, too. Um, Like, have you ever thought that 
your bad week was a product of the fact that you chose not to go to church that week? That's the tally sheet method. Or you were somewhat dishonest at work, and on the way home, you get a flat tire. Oh, I know why it is. I did this at work, and now God is punishing me with this flat tire. Or you're disrespectful to your parents, so, and I got cut from the play, okay? And, and we, we kind of do this, and whether we want to admit it or whether we even consciously believe it, we still think it. And of course, if I do lots of good things, then I should receive good in my life. I mean, if I'm a part of the PTA and I recycle and pick up trash and I don't step on ants and, you know, on and on and on, right, whatever it is, well then, I should have good things in my life. And why do bad things happen to good people? The reason why we have this question so much is because we view God like he has a tally sheet in heaven and he's watching us and that those who are better should receive better. And those who are worse deserve worse. And we just have to, we have to get that type of thinking out of our hearts. Very simply, our second fill-in is this. God does not keep a tally sheet of sin. God does not keep a tally sheet of sin. So, (laughs) Why are there bad things in my life? It has less to do with you specifically than you might think. And at the end of the day, only God sees all that's going on behind the scenes. But what I can help you with is to understand why there are bad things at all. (laughs) First service, I came over here for this illustration and I had forgotten the water. So it's going to go better at this service, to say it. Even if I screw up, it'll still go better in the second service here. But um, this bowl is filled with clear water. Um, I think you probably can see that. And this bowl of clear water is meant to represent um, the way God created the world. He created it perfect. You got to hear this. God did not intend for there to be diabetes or heart problems. God did not want there to be problems with kidneys and livers and lungs. He did not invent cancer. He does not want there to be relational problems or issues. He doesn't want life to be difficult. He did not invent suffering or pain. He created the world Perfectly. And then, what happened? Our first uh, parents, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and we call that sin. And they ate from the one tree they weren't supposed to eat, and so what happened is that, along with there being sin in Adam and Eve's life, there also was sin in the world. And it didn't just contaminate Adam and Eve, it contaminated the whole world. And after that, they lived an entire life of sin. And down through the centuries, every generation passed down by their parents had sin in it, of thought, 
of word and of deed. Fast forward 2,000 years from the time of Christ, and I have sin in my life. I'm part of the problem. And you do too. And what happens is that you and I, we live in a world that's messed up and cloudy with sin in general. And so what that means is it's not going to be as great drinking this water as it was the clear water. (laughs) Or it's not going to be as wonderful living in this than it would be in a perfect world. We get into real trouble trying to link every bad thing that happens in our lives with something that we've done. And the truth of the matter is, God doesn't act that way or react that way anyway. But instead, and and maybe this will just help you understand better just suffering in general. Our next fill-in. Individual suffering. Specific things that happen in your life, like a flat tire, is not necessarily caused by individual sin. It's not how God works. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But instead, here's the truth. Here's the reality. Here's the truth that Jesus was trying to lead them to in that discussion about the Galileans and the 18 that got hit by the tower. That sin in general causes suffering in life in general. Individual suffering is not caused by individual sin, but instead, sin in general causes suffering in general. Now, during times of hardship where the general cause of sin is generally happening to me, (laughs) we still ask the question, why? And we spend a, a lot of A lot of time looking for the reasons. And the cool thing is that God says and God promises that he will even use the garbage in our life, the the difficulty, the suffering in our life, and he's going to use it to make us better in the sense of stronger. He's going to use it to, he's going to use it for our good. And so you know what we often do? We often try to figure out what he's going to use it for. And we ask ourselves why. And I want to be really careful here because I do not think it's wrong to analyze something that happened, some suffering in the past, and to conjecture how God is using it. I don't think that's wrong. Do you hear me on that? I don't think that's wrong. I just think we spend too much time with it. I think sometimes we spend all of our time trying to figure out exactly what God was up to in this pain and this suffering. And the truth of the matter is, you don't know for sure. I know he's going to use it, but I don't know the exact reasons why. The only way you could know is if there's a Bible passage written about you. And so far, I've read the whole thing. I, don't, I didn't see any of your names in it. Um, or God came with some revelation to tell you exactly why. Beyond that, it's conjecture. So you can ask the question. You can even ask it of me, and I can help navigate. I just think we talk about it too much. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus points the gathering to what we should be thinking about in times of suffering. 
Remember that difficult verse that I quickly pass over? You thought I'd not get back to it because it's so difficult, right? Here's what Jesus said after his Greek imperative. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. I would have to admit that as I read through this section, you know, that that strikes me as a difficult phrase that Jesus would follow with. And I will also tell you that I could spend an entire 30, 45 minute sermon just on this phrase, okay? But because we don't have that kind of time, I'm going to have to just lead you to the heart of it, okay? Here's the heart of it. So often when bad things happen, we have our hearts and minds focused on asking the question, why, and looking for reasons. Jesus says that instead of that, we should spend more of our time focusing on our hearts. In the times of suffering and difficulty, we so often ask the question, why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? What Jesus is directing people to is that on our own, None of us are good. We all have things in our lives that need to be repented of. And so maybe instead of the question why, a better thing to focus on in those moments is him. That in the moments of suffering, we are chasing after reasons, and what God wants us to think about is relationship. And our relationship with him. Our next fill-in is this. Focus in times of difficulty and suffering on relationship with God and not on reasons. I was, I was listening to um, a sermon in the last couple weeks um, that had an illustration that was somewhat um, tied to this. And um, the pastor was talking about how um, he was talking with his 10-year-old son, and he had like some chore for him to do at home. And, and the son kind of got all, you know, tall and, and said to his dad, said, hey, um, you know, I'm the type of guy that wants reasons when I'm asked to do something. You can imagine how that went over, right? Like, I'll give you a reason, right? I don't know how you guys answer those types of questions, especially when they come from a, a snotty um, type of uh, response, right? What, what, uh, what the dad said he did was, I don't need to give you reasons, and then he used his Darth Vader voice, because I am your father. <laughs> That's enough, right? You don't need reasons. I'm your dad. And in a slightly different way, because I know the reasons are coming from a different place, the truth is still there. It's nice to find reasons, but what Jesus is pointing the people to there that day, and us as well, is that we would do well to just focus on him and the fact that we have a heavenly Father who cares for us and loves us. Now, hear this. You can write this in the book. I don't know where the book is, but whatever the book is, just write it in there, okay? You, 100% of the time, will be tempted in moments of suffering to question God's love. I don't care how strong your faith is. I don't care how much you know of the Bible. 
You, in those moments, will be tempted to question God's love. You'll be tempted not to trust him. You'll be tempted not to think he cares for you. Write it down. It's going to happen. But when you do, I want you to think about what we're going to talk, what I'm going to talk about next. Because the reason why you never need to question God's love is the person who is speaking to those who are wondering about God's justice. Jesus is the reason why you don't need to ever question God's love. Because of the sin we brought into the world, there are going to be towers that fall in your life. Health, relational, financial, whatever it is. Not because God wanted it that way, but because we brought it into the world. There's going to be suffering and pain. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be bad things, no matter how good you are or how bad you are. But there was another tower that fell. The ultimate tower of God's justice for sin had to fall. And guess who it fell on? Not us, not 18. It fell on Jesus, God's son. It's absolutely amazing to think, like, you think you're pretty good, right? We all do, especially better than the person sitting next to me. I may not be perfect, but, you know, just point your thumb in one direction, right? And you're better at least than that person, probably, right? We think we're pretty good, but there was only one perfect person. There was only one who was truly good, and his name was Jesus. And just think what God did. He said, I'm going to take the only perfect person. He happens to be my only son. And I am going to allow for the ultimate tower to fall on him. And Jesus let it happen. As he died on the cross for us. How do you explain that? How do you explain it? There's one word. Love there's no other word. And in our lives, there will be little towers that fall. I guarantee it. But they do not need to crush us because the ultimate tower fell on Jesus. And that same God of love walks with you. So I got a little cutesy for you on this last one because that's what I'm about is cutesy. All right. No matter what you're going through, remember, you're only going through. No matter what you're going through, remember, you're only going through. And you'll someday, whether it be in this life or the next, get beyond it. It's only for a short amount of time, and God will walk through it with you. Don't overanalyze what did I do is probably nothing except everything. <laughs> Just know and trust that God is with you and he loves you more than you deserve. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, it's human nature to question. And sometimes those questions come from just inquisitive minds. And sometimes those questions come from doubting hearts. Dear Lord, forgive me for the times when those questions came from doubt. And through your word, and more than anything, through an ultimate focus on your son, remind us all every single day that you love us immensely, that you're going to help us get through. Lord, I raise up in prayer today, um, Lindsay, Dave, and the Brindisi family. We thank you for your guidance so far of little Leo, that he was even able to be in church today, and ask that you would continue to guide them as uh, each day is a challenge for them and a struggle. Uh, Give them your strength and remind them of your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.